Now, um, I, I have to kind of, um, we're going to be in Numbers chapter 20. Uh, I have to kind of uh, sort of uh, preface some things. Um, uh, I'm going to be all over the place, okay? I'm not, I'm not feeling good and brain's kind of scrambled here. But um, pray for Dave Homechuck, pastor of Calvary Chapel in Dover, uh, Calvary Chapel, Maine Highlands. Uh, they have been kicked out of their building uh, because of COVID-19. They 13 years they've been there, and uh, you know he and they would probably say it really graciously. Uh, he did certainly in his communication to us as pastors, but uh, it's it's a town building. It's it's run by the town, and they've rented there for 13 years, and uh, they're not compliant with the governor's. Uh, mandates and so the town uh, said you can't can't be here anymore so uh, as I understand that that little fellowship is literally meeting in a greenhouse today so um, praise God right you know what I'm saying it's it's not a catacomb <coughs> yet <coughs> um, but uh, you know they, they're so faithful and I know they would be horribly embarrassed but just such faithful servants Dave and his wife and all the people there and just gracious. Um, I uh, you might want to write down uh, John Johns Hopkins Medical University and uh, take a look at the statistics again. They are continuously tracking the medical statistics regarding uh, COVID nineteen. Currently, uh, the death rate has still not exceeded. Ready for this? Two percent. It's still less. I think the highest they've recorded is 1.8. Now, people panic and they want to throw numbers at you and they'll find the worst case scenario, right? You know, like Yemen, 28 percent, right? But you know, like Evan pointed out this morning, their their medical treatment is you know the guillotine. You get sick, they put you to death so you don't infect the rest of the community. You know, they're, they're, it's crazy. So, you know, Singapore, on the other hand, 0.003%. Okay. You know, read the medical research on viral, you know, airborne respiratory viral transmissions. There's no, there's no scenario where it exceeds 2%. Okay. You know, collectively because of how it works and how it infects and, you know, the weakness in the culture, panic, fear, control is what we're looking at. You know, some of us have stopped referring to her as Governor Mills and begun referring to her as General Mills. And, um, you know, she's controlling some things and demanding some things. And, and if we do not resist, what's the next layer? What's the next level, Right. It'll be a mark on your hand. It'll be a mark on your forehead someday. Someday. I'm not saying she's going to do it or, you know, Joe Biden's going to do it. But it's coming. And we're taking these foolish incremental steps. And if you just give them your freedom, they'll gladly take it. Okay? Must, must resist. Salt and light. That's what salt does. It keeps the rot from growing. So... We must be those people. Moving back to the discussion of, I'm saying all that because we're here 
in violation. Right? People don't want me to say that. You're on Facebook. Shut up. Who cares? Okay? You, know, you got to resist. The, you know, the numbers. You know, you know the double standard, right? Oh, none of you guys can meet for Thanksgiving. But we will. We'll plan our, right? This is the nonsense. Why? Because they know. They know. If it was real, would you do it if it was real? If, if, if it was going to kill you, you wouldn't do it. Right? So you demand everybody else has to do that. But because you know it's not real, I'm not going to do it. They don't comply. Right? Fear would keep you from doing it. Because it's not real to the degree. Right? It's, it's deadly. It's dangerous. Nobody's denying that. The degree to which they are exercising their control and their domination is what I'm talking about. Okay? So, pray. Walk the balance, be compliant, and yet resist. Is that weird? You know what I'm saying? This is what Christ did. Right? He, he, you know, we want to talk about a rebel. Rebel, right? We all grew up as kids. We hit our teenage years, and we were like, well, I'm a rebel. That's why I act like everyone else. You know what I'm saying? <clears throat> Dress like everyone else. Behave like everyone else. I do everything that everyone else does. You want to be a rebel? Rebel against society. Follow Jesus Christ. Be different. Be real resistance. Right? Antifa, you know, Black Lives Matter. Any dead fish can swim downstream. You know what I'm saying? The whole flow is going one direction, and what is everybody doing? Same thing. It takes strength. To resist and push and swim and fight your way through this. This is what survival is. Numbers 20. Maybe we'll go. I don't know. Numbers chapter 20. Some things are going to happen here. And we're going to build up uh, all the way to chapter 36 where they cross the Jordan River. Okay. Now, I, I just... Especially Calvary Chapel down east, I, you know, the rest of the world can think how they want to. Um, you, I want to give you the information and you decide how you want to think. But this idea that is ingrained in Christianity that crossing the Jordan River is a symbol of death and entering heaven is not biblical. Okay. Uh, it, you you have the New Testament statement that uh, all were baptized, referring to the nation of Israel, through Moses, through the Red Sea, and through the cloud, the pillar. So the baptism of passing through the Red Sea, if that's baptism, right? That's what the New Testament tells us. Then what is the Jordan River? Because they've passed through the Red Sea, out of their bondage and out of their sin, into a struggle of dying to their flesh and dying to their sinfulness, what is crossing the Jordan River? Answer, life in the Spirit. Okay? The departing from the flesh. The old man, right, that first generation that came out of Egypt, dies in the wilderness. The flesh dies in the wilderness. What was the wilderness named? The wilderness of sin. How about that, right? 
So the flesh dies in its sin, and then they come to the Jordan River again. And they're given the opportunity to cross. When they cross, and don't get all mixed up with the crazy shenanigans of the modern church and what is called baptism of the Spirit and, you know, the weirdness that goes on, right? There, there is speaking in tongues. There is prophecy for today. But then people go too far and turn it into things that the Scripture never intended. Okay, And I, and I say that one more time. I, I don't mean to harp on it. I just... I want people to understand where I'm coming from. I say that as someone who speaks and prays in tongues. At home, alone, on my own, between me and the Lord. I haven't so far found a good purpose and use for it here in the congregation. <laughs> no. Baptism of the Spirit. They cross the Jordan, and what do they enter into? Fights and wars and, and victories and defeats, right? That's not going to be in heaven. You're not going to enter heaven and have to conquer Philistines, which, which is, if you take the way that they, you know, symbolize this, that's that's what they're incorrectly implying. Okay, so, so what we're about to see here is the buildup. You start to see things build up to the day where the nation of Israel crosses the Jordan River, and several of those symbols and several of those circumstances are going to speak to us this morning. So. Verse 1, the children of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month. And the people stayed in Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried there. That's a shocking statement. Miriam, <clears throat> you know, one of those background people that uh, irreplaceable. Right, had some problems with pride over the issue, tried to sort of supersede Moses, uh, even recently as we were studying through these circumstances, right? But Moses wouldn't be around if it weren't for Miriam, right? Okay, you, you, you don't, uh, you don't, still to this day, crocodile attacks in the Nile River are extremely common, right? You don't put an infant in a little basket and just float him out into the water, right? That's just an hors d'oeuvre floating around. It's bad. Miriam's there to watch, observe, protect, guide. Who? Moses. You know how it is, right? When somebody rises to fame, if we've got any connection to him, we want to make sure people know, right? I met Stephen King on a handful of occasions when I was younger. Really did. Took art lessons from one of his closest friends. You know, Stephen King walk in. I'm just like drawing some doodle, and you know, turn around. Here's a world-renowned author. Just, I was starstruck. You, you want people to know these things. You want to make sure people understand. You got some Miriam. We see that revealed when she stood up with her brother Aaron and said, basically, "Is Moses the only one that can hear from God?" Right? She's already proven. She's a protector. She's a provider. She's made a passage for Moses, and she's a beautiful worship leader too, right? Right after they came out of the Red Sea, there's the recording of Miriam's song of praise to the Lord. She's a wonderful, she's a wonderful spiritual leader, but she's supposed to be subject to Moses, okay? 
in all of this, we now come to the place where Miriam doesn't make it into the promised land. That teaches us there are no special exceptions. Right? When God says he will not be mocked, whatever you sow, you're going to reap. And this is going to incrementally hit Aaron. By the end of this chapter, Aaron is going to pass away. And before we're done, Moses is going to pass away. Not going to enter the land. Not going to follow the Lord with this process. So they bury her. They're all filled with this mourning. Now, many years have passed, right? Uh, some debate. Some say full 40. Others say 38 years. It, it's been a long. It's been decades. Okay, so so as we're reading through this, and you you know go from eighteen, you know particularly chapter fourteen, where they went into the land and came back, and gave the bad report, and you you know you just turned six chapters, and boom, now we're you know seeing the end of these things. This is the beginning of the end for Moses and that whole leadership and Israel in these circumstances. So there's a younger generation. That has come up. There's an older generation that for the most part has been passing away. Okay, so when we start to hear this generation saying the things they're saying, you can kind of slap your forehead and think like, why would these people talk this way? Because they are the generation that hasn't had these experiences with God. They've heard of the experiences. They've had some experiences, but they weren't there during these experiences that they're now going to go through. So they're having to live it out for themselves, right? We, all, we often say that, right? We're always one generation away from revival or failure. Right? There's, God doesn't have any grandchildren, right? You're born again, wonderful. Your children need to be born again also. Every generation needs to seek that relationship with God. So now there was no water for the congregation. Now, keep in mind, you're talking about 8 million people. We're not talking about, uh, hey, could I have my turn at the water fountain? Right? We, need it. we need a clear spring running river is what we need. We, we, don't, we don't need even a, a, a solid garden hose right here. We, we need a massive water source. There's no water source. In desert conditions uh, here where they're at, generally speaking, the humidity is somewhere between 2 and 7%. <laughs> That'll dry you out quick, man. You can die in less than two days in this environment without water. It's very serious what they're dealing with. Here in Maine... <clears throat> No water even to drink. The water that's in the atmosphere and what's in your body, if you conserve your energy and your moisture, you could live up to nine days without drinking water. Okay, This environment, you're being dry roasted all the time. And they have no water. So they gathered together and noticed this word against Moses and Aaron. This isn't just hey, we've got a problem. Let's go talk to Moses and Aaron. <laughs> They've come with hostility. 
and the people contended. So there's actually a fight, huh? verbal, physical. We don't. They're contending, right? There, there is a strong animosity here. They contended with Moses and spoke, saying, "If." Only we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. Okay? That was during the rebellion of Korah that they're referring to. Right? Korah rises up and says, Who do you think you are, Moses? Right? Similar to what Mary said, We're Levites. We can lead. You take too much upon yourself. Long story short, the ground opens up and they all fall into hell. Right? According to the scripture, it seems to directly imply that they fall all the way to hell alive. Horrible, horrible thought. And these guys are saying, we should have gone with them, right? You go, that's absurd. I bet you've talked to people that think like that. I don't want to go to heaven. I'd rather go to hell. All my friends are there. Yeah, but according to the scripture, it's pitch black burning with fire and yet no light and you will remain in eternity alone suffering that'll drive you mad right all of our pain will be wiped away the tears will be wiped away and the scripture even tells us we will not remember the former things right it would be very painful to be in the presence of the Lord and have to think about your loved one in hell for eternity, right? To whatever degree the Lord is promising us, we're not going to have that torturous, even mental experience. Christ is going to deliver us from that. Maybe we'll remember our relatives, but we're not going to be tormented by that. Imagine living in hell for eternity and having to remember, ah, I sat in that church and I heard that message, but I didn't accept it. I could have avoided this. And you get to remember that for eternity. When we're in sin, we don't think clearly. We do not think clearly, right? People that drink alcohol, get drunk and drive... One of the biggest problems with that when they interview people and talk to them about it before, during, and after is their perception of how intoxicated they are becomes more and more diminished the more and more they drink. They become more and more confident about driving. They're more and more impaired, and yet they're more and more confident in the process. Sin, more and more impaired, and yet more and more confident. We, we, we mess our own minds up in the process, literally. Mess our minds up with sin. Not even just particularly, you know, alcohol. Lots of people don't consume any intoxicants, and yet they participate in the sin, and it blinds them, right? Uh, the scripture tells us that sin deceives. It deceives us. You have to avoid it. You have to stay away from it. These, these guys are literally saying, we, had been, we would be better off if we went to hell. Are you out of your mind? Yes, they are out of their mind at the moment. Yeah, we would have been better off. As we said, years have passed. 
the fact that they're back at Kadesh. Remember Numbers chapter 13. Look at verse 26 where it says, Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron, all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran, at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. They're back at that crossing. They, they, they've wandered through the wilderness and this great dying off of the original generation has mostly occurred and they're back. You, you could almost look at it like, uh, the Lord is saying, see where you should have gone? And they're not even going to get there yet, right? Because he's showing them these people have to die off before we can get there. That's a very painful process. A little bit of self-application. God will bring you to a moment in your Christian walk and you fail. If you don't fail, great. For those of us that fail, then there's a wandering period, long or short, measure it however you want to. He's going to bring you right back to that location again. And what he's going to do is he's going to show you yourself. Miriam, Aaron, Moses, right? The federal head, the the top representative of the entire nation. And he's going to show you sinfulness and death are right here. Are we ready to be done with this? That's what the Lord is saying. Are, are you ready to be done with this? No? Well, let's take another lap. You know what I'm saying? <clears throat> Not ready? Okay. Right? <clears throat> Very often God misunderstand, people under, misunderstand God's punishment. Right? They, they run into circumstances and they go, this is God's punishment. And then if you look at it closely in their life or your own, what you're going to discover is, no, no, it's really not God's punishment. You've done that to yourself. Right? And don't we get mad? <laughs> don't you get mad? Okay. In your immaturity and selfishness and your sinfulness, don't you get mad when you hurt yourself? Right? And, and when we were or are really immature, we often want to blame other people. <laughs> you know, I'm hurt because of you. No, you hurt yourself. And that's the way we go. Our sin hurts us. It hurts us very badly. God is warning us, right? His, his discipline is always like the discipline of a school teacher that would correct you and instruct you. His discipline's very different, right? Our enemy gets in our ear and yells and screams lies and accusations and we get depressed and get all kinds of junk going on. That's our enemy. Christ is saying, okay, right there, I told you, don't do that. And you did that. So we need to come back to that occasion. And that's the, the horrible part, right? Because he never gives us a pass. He never just says, oh, you've tried so many times. Go ahead. <laughs> He always says, ah, oh, you've failed so many times. Let's do that one more time. Because he's not going to quit until you get it right. right. The testing that we go through with God is not so God can figure out what's going on with you. It's so that you can figure out what's going on with you. God puts you through the junk so you can see yourself. 
and you can take the necessary steps. Think about how gracious that is, right? God doesn't ever fail you and hold you back. He just says, no, we're going to study a bit here, and then we're going to take the test again. The beautiful thing is, if you haven't figured it out, it's an open book test. <clears throat> you got to open the book. You got to read. You got to pray. You got to talk to the teacher. And then you got to mechanically follow the answers. And in time, the answers become your own nature. You understand? You may not want to turn to the left when you just so adamantly want to go the opposite direction, whatever it is. If you obey him, you'll figure, oh, this actually works. Following his mandates, doing what he's telling me to do. Verse 4. Why have you brought up the assembly? This is the continued complaint of the Lord into the wilderness that we and our animals should die here. Suddenly, they're animal rights activists. Isn't that weird? Hello? <clears throat> Isn't it weird that, that we suddenly start acting all self-righteous, indignant about all kinds of other circumstances when we're in, in these situations. You know, I, I have seen so many times that people that are just absolutely destroying their lives. And when you try to talk to them and encourage them to depart from that, what they want to talk about is God's character. Yeah, well, if God was so loving, then how come? Wait a second. Right? God is it God God didn't want to kill animals, let alone people. And think about the New Testament approach to this, right? Jesus is specifically talking to them and he says, you know, you can buy two sparrows for one cent, and not a single one of them falls to the ground without God knowing it, and you are of so much more value than they. We, we you know, our culture's lost touch with that. Because they're living in the sin that they're living. We, were, we alone, human beings, were created in God's image. Animals are interesting. They're, they're interesting characters. Just so just studying them. Dogs and their personalities. And just, you know, the way you know, animals behave. It's really, it's some interesting stuff. You can learn a lot in the process, but they're not humans. They're not created in God's image. They don't, they don't have his mind, you know, like we do. Not that we have God's mind in the sense of being exactly like God, but we're created in that image. These people automatically go to the low end of the discussion. Why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place. <laughs> oh, you look, the place is evil. Don't get me wrong, right? I just said, you know, 7, 2, 7% humidity. You could die in two days. It is, you know, fiery hot like hell to a degree. But the promised land is just across the river, right? All that God promises is a short swim away. And all they're concentrating on is the oh, current conditions. Yeah, yeah, you've created these current conditions for yourself. 
by not believing God. Listen, class, you want to underline that in your mind. By not believing God's word. Because these people are going to insist, Moses is going to insist, we're going to think, oh no, they believed God's word, but they didn't obey it, which implies they didn't believe it. As much as we say it, right? Early 1900s, that acrobat had the rope stretched across the Niagara Falls, Canada to America. Big display, big events, both sides of the river, and he walked across the tightrope repeatedly. The people were all enthralled with the fact that he could even walk a wheelbarrow. He could keep the wheelbarrow on that rope and keep himself on the rope. When he finished doing that stunt, he asked the crowd if they thought he could do it again. And they all cheered and said, absolutely. He said, great. Who wants to get in the wheelbarrow? <laughs> no one. No one. Right? We will adamantly say, oh, I believe God. Really? Enough to put your whole life in it? Literally your whole life. You're going to get fully on board? You're going to stop saying, I believe, and simultaneously being disobedient? I believe disobedience. I believe disobedience. That's what God is drawing the attention to right here. He's saying you're proving through your disobedience you don't actually believe. Say what you want to. Say what you want to. Right? We don't often equate this. In the book of James, it records for us. James actually says it mockingly. You believe there's one God? Good for you. The demons believe also. And they tremble. Thinking it in your mind, saying it with your mouth, really doesn't mean anything. It's the action. Here, they're convinced it's an evil place. It's not a place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, nor is there any water to drink. Have you been in your sin and you can see the fruitfulness of God, but you can't reach it? Have you, have you experienced that? I'm right here, sitting in my junk. <clears throat> And I know and I can see God's promises right over there. And I just can't seem to lay my hands on them. Why? Because there's a barrier between me and it. And it's my sin. Terrible place. Terrible place. This new generation behaves just like the one before it, right? So Moses, verse 6, and Aaron went from the presence of of the assembly to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and they fell on their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. What a wonderful thing. That they have a spiritual leader, or spiritual leaders, Moses and Aaron, who, rather than engaging in an argument, right, these people have come contending with anger, with opposition. Moses and Aaron don't even get into that at all. They're done. Where are they going? Presence of the Lord. How are they going there? On their face. Prayer. Right to their face. That's where they're going. Just bow down and worship the Lord. And we it's revealed to us in this passage and elsewhere that what Moses and Aaron are praying is, Lord, please don't kill these people. For their rebellion. For their talking back. For 
their disobedience. Be merciful with them. God, don't destroy this nation. They don't even go there like I do, or perhaps you do, where we bow down and we just begin our prayer with, God, I can't stand these people. You know, this person bugs me so bad. That that relative that just called me up, I, you know, they don't go there that way. They go for mercy on behalf of others, not for themselves. They don't go there with selfishness at all. Selfishness is not their motivation at all. Selflessness is their motivation. They fall on their face. And what happens? The glory of the Lord appears. Any of you that have functioned this way know that's the absolute truth every time. You go fall on your face before the Lord and the, the glory of the Lord will be revealed to you. Right? No, you're sitting there saying, I haven't seen the glory of the Lord. No light shine out of the sky for me. No, then you haven't opened your heart up. If you open your heart up and you'll pray this way with a broken soul, he will radiate inside you like you've never experienced before. Pour your heart out to God. Then Moses, then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the rod. Now, <clears throat> notice it says the rod. This is Aaron's rod. They had contention previously with Korah and the leaders and all that went on. And the Lord said, I want you to bring each of you, the leaders of the 12 tribes, your rod in here before the Lord. And the Lord caused Aaron's rod. This is his walking stick that he's had for years. Right? This is a dead piece of bone wood. <laughs> it's been stripped. No bark, sanded, bleached, white from sun and use. It's just, it's just as dry and as dead as it possibly can be. When it was laid before the Lord, it came back to life. It sprouted. Didn't even show little sprouts. It went all the way to blossom and fruitfulness. It had almonds on it. And it was set and kept before the Lord as a testimony that Aaron was the priest that God had chosen. This rod is the symbol of God's authority in the leadership of Israel. God says, get that rod. Take the rod, you and your brother Aaron, gather the congregation together. Speak to the rock before their eyes. You notice that? Before their eyes. I need the people to witness this happening. Speak to the rock before their eyes. And it will yield its water. Now I want you to notice something. God said speak, right? Most of us know. Don't hit the rock. He said speak to the rock. And it will yield its waters, right? He didn't say, go speak to the rock and let's, let's see what happens. Go speak to the rock and, I don't know, maybe we'll have to come up with step two, right? He didn't say any of that. He said, go speak to the rock and it will yield its water. Remember that when we get to the Lord's rebuke of Moses, because Moses' behavior is faithless. The very thing that is the problem within this congregation 
is also a problem within their leader, Moses. Why? Now, some people take this and they teach great sermons about how the reason that the congregation behaved this way is because they were being led by a man like Moses. No. I'm not just saying that as a pastor. The reason that the people acted this way is because they're human. The reason that Moses acts this way is because he's human. The problem is human. Not God. Problem doesn't lie with God at all. The Lord is telling Moses, I'm going to do this. Thus you shall bring water for them out of the rock and give drink to the congregation and their animals. Now the New Testament tells us that this rock is Jesus Christ. The Greek language is very specific. It doesn't say this rock represented Jesus Christ. I wish that it did. It'd be easier for me to teach. The scripture says it was Jesus Christ. And that it followed them through the wilderness. How messed up is that? The rock is following them. It's actually a blessed assurance, isn't it? That Christ is the rock that we can rest upon, the foundation and receive our sustenance from, and that he follows us. Think about it, because the only reason they're wandering through the wilderness is their unbelief and their sinfulness. And yet Christ follows them. You ever feel like he's not following you? Ever feel like he's distant from you? Ever feel like you've left him or he's left you? It's not true. Stop. Stop where you are and speak to the rock. <laughs> Simple as that, man. Just simple as that. Just stop. Just stop where you are and speak to the rock. And he'll provide what you need. All of those things you've been trying to consume and experience and take part in. Not going to satisfy you. It will yield its water, bring water for them out of the rock, give drink to the congregation and their animals. Okay, so we're concerned about the animals. Okay, you know what? Let's water the animals too. You guys are a bunch of, you know, Animal rights activists, let's take care of the animals too. Not just enough water for the nation of Israel, for your animals too. That's not God's approach. God's approach is, of course I'm going to give you water for the animals. Of course I'm going to give you water for all you need. Yeah, you're providing for me, but what about my wife? Yeah, or, uh, yeah, you're providing for my wife, but what about me? Yeah, you're providing for that, but what about me? Yeah, you're providing for so-and-so, but what about me? If you just stop and speak to the rock, which is Jesus Christ, you'll have what you need. You and all of yours. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded. Well, he took the rod as he commanded. But he's not going to follow through as he commanded. Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock and said to them, Hear now, you rebels. What's that old thing, right? Point the finger, three point back at yourself. Hear now, you rebels. Here now, Moses, right, will put your name in the blank. Here now, Moses and Aaron gathered, and here now, you rebels, must we bring water for you out of this rock? Yes, Moses. You know why? Because God said so. Not because the people 
are rebellious and complaining. And I, I can understand what he's saying. This isn't the character of God. Then Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rod twice with his rod. Right? I said rod. Struck the rock twice with his rod. And water came up abundantly, and the congregation and their animals drank. Okay? This is a torrent of water that comes out here. This isn't a trickle, as we said. I, uh, I tend to let my imagination run wild when I read the scripture, just to really try to absorb what I'm reading. What, what is God saying here? What is it? And uh, I don't mean to imply anything uh, different, but uh, I recognize in myself occasions where I've gone out in my sinfulness and in my pride, and I've conducted myself in ways like this. And you make the first attempt at a thing, and it just fails. So you double down on the measure. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Try harder. Make a bigger fool of yourself. And just I wonder how long the pause was between the first and the second hit. Maybe it was instant. I don't think so, right? Moses took that rod, that rod the first time when the Lord told him to strike the rock, which is a symbol of Jesus Christ's crucifixion, right? He takes the rod and he smacks the rock and the water just explodes out for all of the people. And this time he comes up and he's got all of that self-imposed, right? He's the pastor, he's the leader, he's Moses after all, and he takes the rock and slam and nothing. Maybe. There's another thought in it that comes only from my imagination. This rod is covered, according to the scripture, with sprout and sprague and almonds. Right? Is the life that God provided this stick shattering and flying all over the place? Are almonds and buds flying everywhere? Is Moses damaging the rod that God brought back to life? Something to think about symbolically. The symbol of God's authority in the rod, the rock, the symbol of Jesus Christ, struck once for our benefit, need not be damaged or struck again. He is our high priest forever. And he suffered once, does not need to suffer continuously. Moses strikes twice. In God's graciousness, he brings forth what is necessary. Listen to me, please. If you're reading through Hebrews and you come to where the Lord tells us, if you fall back into sin, there is no more sacrifice for you. And suddenly an unbearable weight crashes down on you and you think that's it. It's over. It's not over. Specifically, God is speaking to the Hebrew people. 
Follow this. Really pay attention to what I'm saying. He's specifically speaking to the Hebrew people who have come into the Christian faith who are now wanting to go back to the Hebrew faith and offer sacrifices and perform all of that ritual. And the author of Hebrews is saying, wait a minute. Are you going to go back to the old sacrifice? There's no sacrifice for you. You, you have only the mercy and grace of God, is what he's saying. That's what he's saying. He's not saying there is no forgiveness for you. He's saying you can't go back to the Hebrew tradition and find forgiveness for your sin. So many preachers misappropriate that passage and put so much burden on the body of Christ, which is not true. Moses Fails right there. Just full on. Rubber stamp that. Fail. Done. And yet, God in his graciousness causes the water to come out. Causes the life to flow into the nation of Israel. Moses, honestly, is quite arrogant here. And I'll let the Lord speak to that in a moment. But Galatians chapter 6 verse 1 tells us, you and I, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. You rebels, very easy to say, very easy to look around at other people's failures and think that it's worse than yours. My sin always looks way worse when you do it. You know what I'm saying? When I do it, it's understandable. You know, it's in fact, it's probably acceptable. You know, just hang around a minute and I'll give you all my excuses and explanations. We, we are a flawed people. The best of us are a flawed people. The Lord is so gracious and so kind. A couple more verses. Verse 12, the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron. Because you, now notice this, spoke to Moses and Aaron. He summarizes it by saying, you, together, both of you. I don't care how awesome a leader Moses is. Aaron should have at this point said, not participating in this with you. You're not going to obey God, not going to speak to the rock, you're on your own. Instead, I think that Aaron has the same mindset because he participates and God brings this condemnation because you did not believe me. How about that? You could almost stop right there because as much if we interviewed Moses right here in this moment, he would, he would tell us, I believe God. The Lord is saying, you did not believe me. Believe me, but what? The fact that in verse eight, he said, it will yield its water. You did not believe me. It's tough. I've had to tell people that on a number of occasions. Because they'll come and say, my life's ruined, marriage, money, job. You know, they're freaking out. Say, okay, yeah. Why didn't you do this or that that we talked about before? Well, I did. And then they give an explanation to how their disobedience was actually obedience, right? Because Moses went and got water from the rock, didn't he? <laughs> but not as God told him. 
He struck the rock. You did not believe to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel. God's greatest concern here is the people you are ministering to were supposed to see an accurate representation of me and my son. His crucifixion, his resurrection, his ascension, and the coming of the Holy Spirit where my people could just ask and I would give. And you didn't do it. You failed. You didn't believe and you did not obey. Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. Wow. Total crash and burn right there. You're not going in the land. You're not going to see the promised land that I have so given. Imagine, you guys. Imagine. Right? What it is like to be Moses. So many years of following the Lord and being trained by the Lord, tutored, taught, led by the Lord, and then to come to the place where that whole plan we had before Moses, it's not going to happen for you. Because you've misrepresented me before the people. We rob ourselves so very often. I want to give an uplifting encouragement right here in this moment. Okay, Moses is in the presence of the Lord. This is how we know crossing the Jordan is not the symbol of coming into heaven. Because Moses doesn't ever cross the Jordan. And yet, he receives the eternal promises from the Lord. What he doesn't experience is victory and the fulfillment of God's promises in this lifetime. We rob ourselves so very often. So very often. Why can't I get there? Why won't it happen for me? Why does it always seem like it's a little ways off? Examine yourself. Examine yourself, right? Maybe you are Joseph, who's being tried and tested and refined by the Lord for the someday that's coming. Or maybe you're Samson, Who's just always cutting yourself short. No pun intended. Verse 13. This was the martyr of Meribah. Because the children of Israel contended with the Lord. And he was hallowed amongst them. Whether Moses hallows the Lord properly or not. The Lord will be hallowed. I just want to remind us. Two terms here. Hallowed means to be so holy that it is made secret and hidden. Right? So holy that it can't even be viewed. So holy that it can't be touched. The people of Israel took it that God was so holy it couldn't even be spoken. They would not say God's name out loud. Hallowed. Moses was supposed to hallow God before the people. And God, in Moses' failure, said, no problem. I've got it. I'll hallow myself. You can't diminish God's holiness. You, you can create excuses for people, right? I misbehave. People watch me misbehave. And then they turn around and say, I'm going to misbehave because he misbehaved. 
we can create problems. God's grace. The second one, Mirabah. It means strife or contention. Have you ever been around people that just, they, they just don't seem to be able to do anything but argue? It's just, it's their personality. You can say, wow, nice day. Well, not as nice as it could be. You know, they always have the slant. And if you try to argue, well, it's nicer than it was yesterday. Yeah, but, you know, and they just, oh, negative. No, they're going to contradict. Waters of contention. Waters of contention. In the midst of God's provision, right? Bring them back by for a short view. See, that's the promised land right over here. Here we are in Kadesh. Everybody see the promised land? Yeah, but you're trying to kill us. <laughs> right? Consider your own heart. God is hallowed no matter what someone else has done, no matter what we do. I definitely don't want to be in the category of Mirabah. I don't want that assigned to me at all. What I want is the free-flowing, living water that comes forth from the rock, that fills my soul, and causes a spring to well up and pour out of me that would minister to you and everyone else I come in contact with. That's what I want my life to be, not Mirabah. Have you met Christians that are Mirabah? Everywhere they go, they want to argue and they want to fight with everybody. That's not how we're going to minister to people. Are you aware that it is the kindness and the goodness of God that brings repentance? If God's kindness and his goodness brings repentance in you and I, what do you think is going to cause people to repent from us? Our kindness, our goodness, godly kindness, godly goodness in their lives. Be a minister. Represent the Lord literally as best you can. If you've failed at it, accept God's grace. Change the pattern. <clears throat> Believe. Do it right next time. Follow him in obedience. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and we'll pray. Lord God, you are so good to us. Thank you for your scripture. Help us to be men and women that truly, and I do mean truly, believe it. Fill us with your spirit. Purge out the filthiness. Help us to walk in fellowship with you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.